Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Aloha, Dr. Miguel. Are you there? I am, Dr. Kelly. Good morning. Good morning, and thanks for joining us today. Before we get started, do you mind doing a brief introduction? Of course, no problem. My name is Dr. Edward Miguel. I am the founder and school principal of Portview Preparatory School in Orange County. We also have a campus in San Bernardino County, California. Um, uh, We serve students with uh, intellectual and developmental disabilities, ages K through 22. And then we also do a lot of consulting around the area, and we've had the pleasure of actually going to other states as well. Um, We enjoy what we do and uh, feel very fortunate to be on this talk with you to help even further. Thank you so much, again, for joining us. Um, We've had the wonderful opportunity of traveling and being at conferences at the same time, Um, and we were excited to have you out here this past fall for the Hawaii Association for Behavior Analysis Conference, and so thanks for the follow-up opportunity for the discussion. Um, Absolutely. So one of the things we've talked about of many is the importance of you know, obviously educating our students and our clients that we work with, but we also have this additional, um, you know, need to make sure that we're keeping people safe while we're educating them. And sometimes we're working with pretty challenging and significant behaviors, and that could mean, you know, working on keeping our clients and students safe as well as working keeping ourselves and the family safe. And today I hope to talk to you a little bit about crisis prevention and intervention, if you wouldn't mind. Um, could you talk to us a little bit about maybe just some of your experiences and things that you've encountered in regards to um, physical intervention or the need for that? Well, yes. Uh, so currently uh, my role at Portview and, you know, so, sort of our role in our community here is we are usually the last stop in terms of placement for uh school-type placements. Um, Students that we get have often been restrained, um, have often, you know, engaged in what we call severe challenging behaviors in other settings, and uh, the other settings weren't capable of serving them. Um, And in terms of my career, you know, I was brought into the field of, at that time, behavior modification um, in a residential setting, um, and uh, my first week of training involved learning how to restrain individuals. And uh, there was no crisis prevention, so to speak, or intervention or analysis of, you know, why uh, the client or student was engaging in that type of behavior um, and how to reduce the likelihood of them engaging in that behavior. So, um, you know, from an experiential basis, you know, or this journey for that matter has been, a path away from having to put hands on a student and um, also an acceptance that behaviors will occur and they should occur and uh, challenging behaviors are especially uh, beneficial in a sense because there's no better time to teach coping than in the middle of the behavior. Um, So this this, uh, gravitation away from uh, the idea of conformity in a school setting and allowing students to misbehave and using them or those opportunities as teachable moments has really 
you know, allowed us to grow as professionals here and uh, to become better trainers and also allow the students to feel safe. When I was first starting in the field myself, after a couple of years working in an in-home setting, I went to an agency where I was working with 17 to 21-year-olds um, in, in that facility. And within my first six months, um, there were probably endless amounts of, of situations where there were hands-on. And as a result, students, I feel, were not necessarily being effectively taught the coping skills in that situation, for sure. And everyone was getting injured, myself included. Um, I ended up sustaining uh, a concussion and some sort of internal bleeding. So there can be some serious side effects. And for me, that became as if there wasn't already enough of a reason. It really became personal as to this, this doesn't seem like this is the right way. Um, and there's got to be a different, easier, simpler way, uh, maybe not easier. Um, and I think that might be why people can tend to put hands on. You mentioned in your first week there was a training on, on restraints, but not a training on prevention. Can you talk about how in your uh, career that that mindset has started has really started to shift in the profession? Well, I think you know if I go back to that first week, um, I think the 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 focus again was on you know conformity. These are the rules, and the clients don't you know need to follow them. And at that time, I was working in a 40-bed residential treatment center for uh, child and adolescent boys uh, that were, most of them were wards uh, of the state. Um, no, no parents have been moved around. Um, they're on various types of medication and various types of diagnoses. Um, and so what we were expected to do was we were expected to go in and um, essentially enforce the rules. And if uh, a client was engaging in behavior um, that was deemed unsafe. We would call over the walkie, and then a bunch of people would show up, and uh, we would give a countdown, and then that that person would be escorted to uh, what they call timeout rooms. Um, and the conformity piece, I think, is the part that has really stuck with me, and I think that, you know, an element of our current society is that there is a lot of more focus on, you know, being an individual and expressing yourself, um, which I think is great. Um, but, I mean, within the school setting, the school setting has slowly followed and realized that, like, uh, you can't expect people to learn the same way, and you can't expect people to be interested in the same things or perform, perform at the same level, you know, in the same uh, context or uh, setting or with the same type of delivery. And, you know, the true educator is going to find a way to make somebody successful. And so if we stray away from conformity and we say, hey, this is what I want the clients or the students to achieve while they're with me, then we get onto a better path. And then tack on, you know, what the value of a relationship is. Um, and, and so that's what I've looked at. For me, you know, and part of it's fatherhood. I have a six-year-old son now, and um, you know how I form my relationship with him, and and how I would want people to treat him. Um, so I look at my situation when I'm intervening with a client, and I say, well, what what is our relationship, and what do I want to establish? What expectations can we establish amongst each other so that we both feel safe? 
No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think it really comes down to the reciprocity of the relationship. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, Ted Carr's work about establishing rapport. And when when I look at my journey, and this is, this is an episode about you and your journey, um, I have seen a big shift in the, like you said, sort of we're going to suppress behaviors or this is we're going to enforce these rules. And now it's more of like, what is it that we're all trying to get? How are we trying to get there? And how do we think we can get there together? That's, I think if I were to capture sort of the, the evolution, I'm starting to see much more of that. I think where I find people struggle a lot is in a, in particular, like in a, in a public school situation, you have lots of administration who are constantly shifting their positions. So when you get policies in place, it's really hard if you don't have the people who understand those practices or who don't have that mindset. Um, you mentioned being the founder and the principal at your school at the academy. Um, how is it something that you try to – how do you go about trying to instill that mindset um, of your staff? Well, I think it's, it stems from action, but, you know, the, the actions are grown out of a belief. And uh, one of the things I believe is that we're only as good as our, you know, lowest performing student or client. Um, you know, we, I think, people are very quick to only focus on, you know, their their greatest successes. But as we evolve as professionals, we really have to analyze, you know, where we're failing so that we can get better too. Um, and then the second piece is is that that belief in you know, well, first and foremost, I believe that you don't have to restrain. You know, that's where it started. We didn't know how we were going to do it initially. You know, I mean, here we're brought up in this this field um, where if it's an emergency, you can restrain. I mean, that's the that's the rule, right? And so you find yourself creating all kind of all kinds of emergencies, or you hear about all kinds of emergencies when. But when you eliminate the option of what you don't want to do or what you shouldn't do, which is restrain or seclude a student, then things stop becoming an emergency because there's an acceptance and there's a belief that you can get through a behavior or a challenging situation successfully without having to damage the relationship between you and the student or the client. And once you get used to and comfortable with doing that over and over again and with small students and large students and, you know, and, and everything in between, then as a professional you grow and as students they grow because they realize that, you know, they aren't going to be subject to that type of treatment but also that they're not, they don't have control over that type of treatment. And that's the other piece. I mean, we've had students – that have literally asked to be restrained because that's how they learn to cope. And that's when we realized that that was the time to teach coping, was in the middle of a behavior, you know, not trying to stop the behavior, but trying to get that engagement in coping. You don't learn those things without believing first in a fundamental principle, which is, you know, the, the, the student's right to, you know, a therapeutic environment, a safe environment, and then you just go from that and then you try to develop procedures based on that. You try to develop a belief system based on that, and then you try to infect each other. 
each other with that belief system and, and be contagious about it because, you know, it works. Be contagious about it because it works. Great advice. And and thanks for sharing with us. Um, it's a typical topic to talk about, and I know that a lot of um, emotions come into play when people are um, describing their experiences, and rightly so, um, because it is a very emotional experience um, uh, and topic to talk about. I do appreciate your candor. Um, before we head off the call today, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to tell us kind of what's going on in your life professionally or personally, and if whatever you'd like to share. Um, let us know what's going on with you and how people can learn more information about the great work that you guys are doing. Well, we are actually uh, launching a um, web channel called Prep Group TV. Um, we have a consulting arm called the Prep Group, um, and the whole purpose is that of that consulting arm is really to you know, change minds, change lives, and change organizations for the better. And that stems out of, uh, you know, first and foremost, our belief that uh, restraint and seclusion is not necessary. But also, you know, we truly believe that. Um, Behavior analysis is, you know, uh, the the upcoming, you know, best field to be in, and we believe that uh, we have the opportunity to influence a lot of uh, younger generations to to gravitate into our field. So, this channel is for a parent, it's for a practitioner, it's for um, an aspiring interventionist, um, and you can access Prep Group TV uh, on iPhone, iPad, Apple TV. Um, Android, Roku, Amazon, all of the above. Um, but for your podcast, uh, if your listeners want to log into tv.theprepgroup.com, uh, they can use the code podcast and get 50% off of your subscription. Um, there's a free trial, so check out our videos. Um, we'd like to have you on there, Dr. Kelly, at some point. Um, but definitely, whether or not you subscribe and if you just check out the free videos, you know, give us some feedback on what you want to hear because, you know, some of you are out there in, you know, uh, rural areas or maybe you can't get to a conference or um, you're just having trouble finding resources. You know, we want to be resourceful for you. Uh, we want to let you know, uh, you know, some of the resources that you can utilize to, to either make your practice better or, you know, uh, to intervene with your child. Um, and, and so that's why it exists. So we appreciate any opportunity to help anybody out there. Um, so, again, uh, tv.theprepgroup.com, and then the code words, podcast. Excellent, and thanks for that offer. Um, one of the things that sticks with me after the Hawaii uh, ABA conference this year was um, one of the parent attendees, as a matter of fact, said that when she heard you um, your presentation, she was left sort of jealous and envious of how do we get resources like that here in Hawaii? How do we access information? Um, how do we how do we start to build those options? And so sounds like this might be an opportunity to bridge some of that gap, and I'll, I'll let Olympia know. She'll probably be very excited. Um, thank you again for your time today. I really appreciate you joining us on the call. Well, thank you for having me. It's my privilege and pleasure. No problem. And for anyone who's interested in learning more about applied behavior analysis, you can check me out at www.behaviorbabe.com.